Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm David Gibby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC is back on pay-per-view this week for UFC 273 live from Jacksonville, Florida. We'll be breaking down both of those title fights as well as a very intriguing co-main event worthy fight between Kamzat Shemaev and Gilbert Burns. All while giving you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend as part of our favorite segment, Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Plus, we'll be doing interviews with two of the fighters on that card. First, I'm talking to Vince Pichel as he gets ready for his upcoming bout, trying to keep the streak going. And Darian Weeks is looking for his first UFC win, and he'll join us a little bit later on in the show. Now, before we get to any of that great content, I do have to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights analysis and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. If In fact, if you head on over there, each and every UFC event, you can check out my exclusive bonus pick but you can only get it on the Top Turtle MMA page at betterthan.vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and I'm joined now by Vince Michelle, who fights Mark O'Madden at UFC 273. That fight is on April 9th. So, Vince, I wanted to start here. You're you're on an amazing run right now. Three fights in a row, seven out of eight. But I got to ask you, you're getting an opponent like Mark O'Madden, a guy who's kind of dangerous, a, a tough wrestler, and may, maybe doesn't have the biggest name behind him. Is Is that a little bit frustrating to you? No, I think it's funny that you think he's dangerous, though. <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell me more about that. What 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 is what's your analysis of uh, how dangerous the guy is? He's not really anyone that that is dangerous in my eyes because all he really has is wrestling. I mean, I don't. His striking is kind of subpar, right? Um, and he he's basically he's a one trick pony. So I don't know. I don't think he's he, I mean, he's definitely not in my eyes. He's definitely not as much of a threat to anyone as I am. I th- I feel like I'm more of a threat than he is. I like that mentality. Now, you know, you mentioned he's kind of a one-trick pony. You think he's pretty much wrestling and nothing else. Obviously, he's wrestled at a very high level. Has has that been a lot of the basis for this fight camp? Is is dealing with wrestling? Um, a little bit, yeah, but also uh, no, because I'm not going to get sucked into his his wrestling game because that's all he's going to want to do, right? He's definitely not going to want to strike with me. I honestly feel like he's going to fight me like Greg Gillespie did. He's not going to want to have anything to do with me on the feet, especially after I hit him. So. We're expecting him to come and just wrestle me the whole time um, because that's that's basically all he knows. So, I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a little emphasis on the wrestling defense, but uh, not, not too much. I'm more geared towards my strengths and, and putting it on him. And, and I know last time that we talked, we talked a lot about how you feel like you're getting a lot better. You, you moved camps out to Factory X. You've got a real, you know, you feel like you got a real team behind you for maybe the first time in your career. Give us a little update. How how has that been now that you've had you know multiple camps there and more time to personally work on the stuff that you wanted to work on? 
Yeah, this is my second full camp here. And in the first camp, you guys did see a little bit of evolution of me from being here, right, with my footwork and my movement and stuff. Um, my cardio has always been good. I'm always a strong, dangerous striker. So uh, you definitely saw a little bit. And in this one, you're going to see uh, even more. Uh, so uh, my my evolution as a fighter and how I've been. Um, I've been working a lot of my wrestling as well. So uh, if I'm honest, who, who's who's not who's who's gonna tell me that I'm not gonna be the one wrestle fucking him in the fight? So <laughs> we'll see how we'll see how it goes. Because my wrestling's not that. I mean, everyone knows it's kind of. I wouldn't say it's my Achilles heel, but it's my weekend of of my of my Bermuda Triangle, right? Striking, jujitsu, and uh, wrestling. Everyone knows wrestling is probably my my weakest link, but it's really not that weak, right? And and yeah, he's a uh, Olympic. Uh, whatever he is, Olympic medalist, uh, Greco guy, but I'm not too worried about anything besides him just trying to get my back and, and try to wrestle, control me to wrestling me, basically. So, um, like I said, I'm, he's not really that dangerous of a guy to me. He's just, the, the worst he's going to do is hold me down. He's not, I'm not afraid of being hurt by him or anything like that. So, I mean, it is what it is. Well, and I want to take you back to something you said there about progression and how you continue to get better and, and the, the fact that you're worried about working on your own stuff, which it does seem like the mentality of this fight camp. You're 39 years old. I don't, I don't mean to point it, point it out to you, but you're 39 <laughs> years old. Can, can we talk about how you're still getting better in, 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 at 39 years old and maybe fighting the best you've ever fought at this age? How, how are you doing it? Honestly, I, I don't I don't, I don't really know, man. Uh, I just got, I got really lucky with the, with my parents and, and the genes. Um, but, uh, aside from that, I would say probably I, I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm really lucky to be, to be fortunate to have these natural attributes, but also I think it's my mentality. Um, throughout my whole life, I've always been the kind of person who has put myself in disadvantage, disadvantageous positions, uh, whether it's fighting life or what have you. Uh, so I'll grow as a person and be stronger from that from that turmoil, right? And so fighting is no different. I've always done this in fighting. Until this day, I still do it in fighting and training. So I think that's a big part of why it is because uh, a lot of people slow down, you know, and and they they let their age, they let their they let the that number get to them where I don't, you know what I mean? And I honestly don't realize how old I am until someone asks me how old I am. And I'm like, fuck, my class forty, shit, okay. And then, uh, but I don't know. So in my eyes, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know, it, it, without sounding like too much of a douche, I'm like, I'm the kind of guy who I would look up to if, if I wasn't me, you know what I mean? Because I'm the old man in there doing it for against these younger kids and, and still doing well and, and beating the shit out of these dudes, you know what I mean? Making them regret taking fights. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned, you know, putting yourself in bad positions and making sure you don't slow down. It, how much easier is that to do at a place like Factory X where there's, you know, hundreds of guys in there, UFC caliber, who are, you know, pushing you every day? I mean, I wouldn't say it's easy, but <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's something that I've had to. Um, how can I say this? Hmm. When I first went to Factory X, I didn't know if I'd be able to keep up with these guys. The guys in the team are uh, like mid twenties, early to mid twenties, as a uh, as an average age, and I'm there's there's me and I think one other guy that's my age on the team or, or around my age or, or older. So uh, I don't know honestly. I just I think it's just my mentality, and, and I'm not the kind of person to slow down where I do anything. I don't I don't slow down for people like um if geez. Yeah, I'm just I'm just not that person that slows down for people. If I'm on the road and there's someone driving slow, I go around them, right? I'm that kind of person. I don't sit in line and wait for people. I don't let other people slow me down. Um, I, I do what I got to do and I do what I want to do. And and honestly, I'm just out here to live my best life. <laughs>
I love it. Now, let's talk a little bit more about that fight, because you, you've outlined pretty clearly how you think he's going to approach it. He's going to approach it from a perspective. He's got to get you down. He He's not going to want to strike with you. Do, do you feel like that happens quickly in this fight? Do you feel like that's happening in the first minute or two? He's going to shoot those takedowns, and, and you're going to be, you know, at, at the very least, circling out of them. I mean, it'd be smart, yeah. He's going to try and shoot right away. Um, I think so. I think I think his goal right away is just going to be to try to wrestle me, right? Because he's he knows that's his bread and butter. My only two losses are to to wrestlers, right? Uh, to um, what's that first dude's name? Rustam Kavalov and Greg Gillespie, right? Who are really good wrestlers, right? The first guy was a really good Greco Sambo guy, like a world champion Sambo guy. A lot of people argued he's better than Khabib, right? And uh, okay. And then uh, Greg Gillespie, who is – I don't even know what what titles he was, but he's a good wrestler, right? So whatever. But those are my only two losses. So I feel like he thinks that he he's going to be able to do that kind of thing to me, not realizing that uh, I've evolved and, and I'm not that same fighter that I used to be and, and that, that they got beat by those guys. Absolutely. Now, I usually like to try to get a prediction, and, and you seem like you've got a, a pretty clear idea how you see this fight going. How, how do you see it ending on April 9th? Um, I'm actually looking to knock him out. Uh, I want to put a statement out there. I want to knock him out, wrestle him, uh, or submit him. I want to, I want to get a finish, man. I feel like I've been kind of, man, I feel like I've been really running through guys, but not, but not finishing. And, and that's going to be an emphasis in this fight. I want to finish him because I want, I want to, I want to. I want to stomp this guy out. I want him to never be the same after he loses to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's certainly a mentality. Now, I, I do want to end before I let you go. I got to ask because I was doing a little bit of research, and it has actually been almost to the day 10 years since The Ultimate Fighter Live. We are we are actually a week after you would have walked yeah. into the house 10 years ago. So. Pretty nice. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think about that you've been in the UFC that long and that you you know you you went on that journey that crazy the only live season too, which is you know obviously makes it very unique. Yeah, that was nuts. Tell tell me a little bit about what you you know ten years later what you remember about it and what's your big takeaway from Tough Ten. Man, I I remember a lot of a lot of cool stuff actually from from Tough. Um, I mean, I can go on, on and on about stories and things that weren't actually aired that I thought were really cool, right? Um, but I think my biggest takeaway from that was I learned a lot about who I am and what I can tolerate and what I can go through um, in, in that time because that three months was was kind of – I mean, uh, what did I tell that guy? I told a reporter before. He asked me how I felt about it. And I said being in the house and on those was was a lot like going to Disneyland. Uh, you know, you get the kids, you pack them up, you go to Disneyland and – you're at the start of the day, and it's great, right? Everyone's having a good time. You're doing it. And then as the day drags on, you know what I mean? The kids are starting to they're starting to complain. They're starting to bitch. They're starting to get tired. They're getting cranky, and then you just want to go the fuck home. And so that's kind of like what it was for me. It was kind of like a Disneyland trip where I was just so, like, in awe at first. And then, you know what I mean? I was just going day by day. I was taking things day by day, doing what I had to do, training and fighting. And then after a while, I was like, man, okay, I'm kind of kind of over this shit now. I'm sick of these dudes. I want to like go home before I just like snap or something, you know? <laughs> but, uh, I definitely am glad that I did it. Would I do it again? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> well, lucky for you, you don't have to do it again. Cause you're on an amazing <laughs> run. Um, and once again, that run continues fans at UFC 273. This has been Vince Michelle who fights Mark O. Madsen. That fight April 9th. Make sure to tune in Vince. Thanks so much for the time, man. 
Thank you, man. It's good to have me on here. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Vince Pichel. I once again, I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, let's start here. Uh, we got a week away from the UFC, but now we are heading into a pretty damn loaded pay-per-view, two title fights, and one of the most hyped prospects of all time. What are you the most hyped about on this UFC 273 card? You know, Gumby, I'm first of all, I'm so excited that we have a loaded card, obviously that's great, but there is a matchup on this card that I am fascinated by, and it's Cosmat Chimiev against Gilbert Burns. I know the odds are very one-sided. The Cosmat, uh, we'll talk about that in our fights, dogs, and parlays, but just from a grappler versus grappler standpoint, and they're two very different kinds of grapplers, we won't get into it just yet. That's what I'm most excited about. How about you? Yeah, I entirely agree with you. I, I think that that fight is more interesting than pretty much any other fight on the card. Um, you know, the, the, we've seen Kamza box a grappler. We've seen him grapple guys who are not good at defending grappling. Uh, here we have a guy who can box and who can, I mean, he's a world-class grappler. We're going to see him fight somebody where they're good for the first time ever. And to me, that alone is intriguing. So... Um, I'll also just shout out because it's not it didn't make the cut of our fights on fights, dogs, and parlays. But Mackenzie Dern versus Tisha Torres is such a good fight, uh, and I, I'm I'm pumped that we're getting to see that too. So uh, honorable mention to Mackenzie Dern versus Tisha Torres, which is a fight I'm having such a hard time picking. So um, yeah, that, th- those are my two big ones. A lot of good stuff there. Well, let's uh, let's not tease it. Let's just get into the meat of the show. Whoa brought us to the dance what we're most excited for it's our favorite segment on the show it's fights dogs parlays for ufc 273 we'll be breaking down the best fights giving you a parlay to play and our dog of the week but before we do it gumby anyone sponsor this edition of fights dogs and parlays Absolutely. Fight Starks and Parlays is brought to you by Double Nickels Sports Betting. You can check out Nickels over on Instagram at 55DoubleNickels55. My guy's going to send you five picks each and every morning from the worlds of NBA, NHL, MLB, tennis, and of course MMA. And I'm not lying when I'm saying he's hitting five almost every single day. And he doesn't just hit you with his picks and ask you to tail him, but instead he also hits you with tips and insights that consistently put him at the front of the game. And with prices that never exceed 10 bucks a day and go as low as 4 bucks a day, there's no reason not to give him a try. Plus, if you mention our podcast when you sign up, he'll hit you with a 10% discount. Don't delay. That's at 55DoubleNickels55 on Instagram, DoubleNickels Sports Betting. All right, let's start with the main event. And when you look at this main event and you look at the odds, you would have to say to yourself, well, no surprise they put this on a loaded show because anytime you have a 760 favorite going against a plus 525 dog, you would assume that is not your main event. But no, it is the main event. It's Alexander Volkanovsky, of course, the minus 760 favorite, the champion, taking on Chan Sung Jung, a worthy contender, but a plus 525 dog. This is a matchup, I do have to say, if you do take away the odds, I don't necessarily blame UFC for running with this on top. Of course, the loaded card helps. But Korean Zombie is as live a dog as the name says. The man is a zombie. He is tough to kill. So it's still a fun fight, even though the odds are, you know, 
quite skewed. Korean Zombie coming off a win over Dan Ige, uh, lost to Brian Ortega before that, beat Frankie Ever, Frankie Edgar, excuse me, and Hanato Moicano before that via TKO. So he is three and one in his last four to earn this title shot. The Dan Ige fight to earn the title shot in a loaded division. Some might say it's not warranted, but hey, it's the Korean Zombie. Volkanovski, of course, is the dominant champion at this point. After beating Max Holloway to win the title, then defending in the rematch, he beat Brian Ortega, although worth noting, while it was a unanimous decision victory and a dominant one at that, there was a moment there where it got very tight on a mounted guillotine, and we all thought that Volkanovski was going to tap, but he did survive, but he came within an inch of losing that title. Point being, this is skewed odds, Gumby. I assume you're going with Volkanovski. Let's hear a pass to victory. Talk someone into betting on Korean Zombie. Well, it's going to be really hard for me to talk somebody into betting Korean Zombie because even at the number it's at, I don't even really love the number that it's at. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I do think he's a really great fighter, and I think partially they went with this fight because he brings a lot of name value. Like you said, people are excited about seeing Korean Zombie fight. But the the bottom line is, is like, a lot of the things Korean Zombie does that make him special and that make people interested in him, Volkanovski's just 40 times better at. You know what I mean? Like, is Korean Zombie going to go out there and, and posi- like positionally wrestle Alexander Volkanovski? No. Is he going to go out there and outbox him? No. And yeah, like, he does move forward at a great clip, but at the same time, he gets hit. That's why he got the nickname Zombie in the first place. So... Volkanovski, who is a particularly hard guy to hit, he's one of the greatest game planners in the game. I actually think he's probably one of the greatest martial artists in the UFC right now. I I do believe that if he's not number one, he's freaking close at this point. So, yeah, Volkanovski to me, just better everywhere. If you were looking for a reason to bet Chan Sung Jung... Maybe you bet him on that submission game. He's got a super underrated submission game that, that sort of surprises people sometimes. You know, maybe we saw a chink in the armor for Volkanovski, but again, I'm I'm not sure Korean Zombie is even better than Ortega on the mat. So, yeah, if, if Volkanovski survived that, I can't imagine Chan Sung Jung catching him. Yeah, I'm with you. Everything you say is dead on. I thought you'd be a little more positive on our dog. You typically find something nice to say, so I, I, I'll be I the one can't. to do it this I, week. I love Volkanovski, uh, though. <laughs> Zombie is going to be much like Ortega, and Ortega had his moments despite the overwhelming, you know, majority decision. His zombie does have the reach. You know, he is bigger, as is everyone, than Volkanovski. And like you said, he does have some some submission game to him. It's going to be a freak-type thing. I, You know, do I think he's a better grappler? Absolutely not. But in a scramble, maybe... Could he body up Volkanovsky and, I don't know, pull out another twister or something of that ilk? I just find the Korean Zombie to be an interesting fighter in that regard. So, you know, your safe money's on Volkanovsky. But, hey, if you got 50 bucks to spare, eh, why not? All right, let's move on. And the theme of the week is skewed odds. This one, I don't know I agree with as much while i think we certainly have a clear-cut favorite this almost throws me through a loop gumby comes at chimiev a minus 525 against gilbert burns a plus 385 this is Kamzat's biggest test to date he's looked absolutely dominant i obviously think 
He is a future champion. I even like his odds if he moved up to 185 and fought Izzy. Okay, that's how much of a Kamzat fan I am. I am. When I fantasy book and dream about future matchups for him. But at the same time, we've never seen him under pressure. We've never seen him in a bad moment. I don't know what I don't know about Kamzat, which just makes these odds crazy to me. But that being said, he's a 10-0 professional fighter. He's 4-0 in the UFC. His fight time in the UFC, Gumby, is about mm, about seven and a half minutes over four fights. He's got submissions. He has a rear naked choke and a darts choke. He KO'd Gerald Mearshart. TKO'd McKee. Uh, the rear naked choke was over Li Jing Lang. The Dars over John Phillips. His grappling is out of this world. His takedowns and top control, I should say, is out of this world. But guess who he's fighting? Gilbert Burns. You want to talk about grappling? Now, different kind of grappling. This is an IBJJF world's champion. Uh, I believe he placed at an ADCC, if I'm not mistaken. He's obviously someone who would be on top of the jiu-jitsu world, but he went where the money was at least several years ago and committed himself to the UFC. He is coming off a uh, win over Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. He lost to the champ Kamaru Usman before that. But to earn that shot against Usman, where he did have moments in the first round, I thought it came very close to hurting Usman and maybe even winning, uh, reeled off a six-fight win streak with wins over Damian Maya, Gunnar Nelson, Tyron Woodley. Now, why do the odds makers favor Kamzat so much? Burns has been taken down in the UFC. Um, Michael Prezeris took him down five times. Uh, Rashid Magomedov took him down two times. Both of those were losses, mind you, but he did get taken down. When he's taken down, he could certainly pull something off, but from what we've seen of Kamzat, his submission defense is going to be great. He's going to be like a Khabib. He's going to use a lot of you know hand ties and uh, just an artist when it comes to ground and pound. That all being said, I know that was a big, big uh, set up for you. Who you got? I'm actually going to go with Gilbert Burns. I'm going to be the crazy. What? I'm going to be the crazy guy who picks Gilbert Burns. And here's why: the people you mentioned taking Gilbert Burns down, those were lightweights. That was lightweight Gilbert Burns, who isn't the same fighter as welterweight Gilbert Burns. I think welterweight Gilbert Burns should have been the Gilbert Burns we've seen from day one. Uh, I think Gilbert Burns, and I've said this before, I really don't know how good Kamzat Chamaya's wrestling is. I do think it's great. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, what you can see in his raw power and the way he ducks under and all those things. But also, like, if you look at the guys he's grappling, like, they're dudes who, like, I, I don't mean to be, like, a jerk, but, like, I might be able to take Reese McKee down. You know what I mean? Like, I, John Phillips, notoriously a boxer. Uh, you know, Lee Jingliang, a little bit tougher to take down, but, like, ultimately not a hard welterweight to take down. So, like, he's taking down guys who get taken down all the time. And really, you know, Gilbert Burns is not that. And even if he does, he's not the type of guy who's just going to give you his back and let you submit him. Kamzat is going to have to work. And I don't think we've had to see Kamzat work against a guy like Gilbert Burns. And like you said, if if Gilbert Burns can stand and bang a little bit with Kamar Usman, my goodness, do I like his chances of standing and banging with uh, Kamzat. And ultimately, the reason, another reason I'm picking Gilbert Burns here is that, dude, like 385 on a guy who I peg as being one of the three best welterweights in the world, like I would bet him at 385 fighting Kamara Usman again. Like that that's an honest fact. Like I would pick him if you gave me those odds against Kamara. So why wouldn't I pick them against a guy who's largely unproven? 
The fantastic point. I completely agree with you. For me, listen, if I'm giving people advice and you're holding a gun to my head and you're going to come back on me if I give you the bad advice, you take comms out here. I, the odds are wild, so I don't love that I have to bet five to one to get them. But let's just say straight up, I do think Comzat is the pick. I agree with you that the competition was nothing close to Gilbert Burns, but I've seen enough to know it's good, and I know enough about grappling to know that someone with that level of wrestling is going to get down someone with that level of jiu-jitsu. And I just feel that he'll be able to control him and stay away from, you know, submissions. He'll have good enough submission defense. But that all being said, we do not know what we do not know. And you brought up a great point, which is Gilbert Burns can trade with the absolute best of them. If this drags into the second or third round and maybe Comzat gets a little tired, I don't really know what he's like as we go into what is Comzat at 10 minutes. What is Comzat at 12 minutes into a fight? I've seen nothing from his hands, really. I've seen, you know, a powerful jab that knocks someone down and then the fight was over. So I don't know what I don't know, much like I didn't know what I didn't know about Ronda Rousey because she ended all her fights too quickly. So yeah, yeah, you could there could be a hole. There could be a Ronda Rousey size hole in there somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, let us get then to the other title fight. I was more excited about, uh, Kamzat versus Gilbert Burns, but there's another title fight on this pay-per-view and it's Piotr Jan, a minus 475 favorite to Aljamain Sterling, a plus 375 dog. Sterling's the champion, mind you. Of course, Piotr Jan coming off a unanimous decision win for Corey Sandhagen, which was for an interim title. But this all stems back to March of last year, 2021. So about a year ago, 13 months ago, where Piotr Jan was fighting Aljamain Sterling and in the fourth round was DQ'd for an illegal knee and lost his title. I still to this day don't think someone should be able to win a title on a DQ. Um, something like that almost should go to like a judge's decision. Jan was, it was a close fight for the first couple of rounds, but I think at that point Jan was proving his dominance. Uh, Aljamain Sterling was on his knees. Piotr Jan either misunderstood his corner or just didn't know the rules, or he's just an asshole and you need uh, Aljo in the head. Some people assume that Aljo was kind of feigning the injury, um, and that's why he couldn't continue. I will give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he was near unconscious or woozy, dream street, whatever you want to say. So he wins the title on kind of a weird and bullshitty finish. Here's the rematch. He's a big dog. This fight was scheduled for last year, but Aljo had to pull out because of a neck injury. The momentum is all with Jan here. Who you got? So I'm going to take Jan in the same way that you said you would take Kamzat straight up. Uh, Like if you're looking for advice here, I do actually think there is value in the Aljamain Sterling line. While I said there's no value in the uh, Korean zombie line, I think people forget that the fight that that Piotr Jan landed that knee in was a lot closer than than history states. You know, like a lot of people looking back in their their memory banks are like, oh yeah, Jan was rolling easily. Dude, he was losing on a judge's scorecard even after that third round that did not get finished. Um, like the, the judges were scoring the fight for, at least one judge was scoring it for Aljamain Sterling, gave him the first and the second. And literally every single judge gave Aljamain Sterling the second round. So 
it's not like Aljo went in there and, like, embarrassed himself. He, like, won a round off of the guy who we largely think to be the best band of weight in the world. Do I think he's going to be able to replicate that? No, I don't. Uh, he, You know, he's probably in great shape. He's probably well prepared for this rematch that he's been preparing for for a long time. But at the same time, the, the foot sweeps, the top control, the fast boxing of Piotr Jan, ultimately, I just think it's too much for Aljo. I think that's totally fair. Uh, let's get then to our dog of the week, Marcin Tibera, plus 130 over Roizenstruck, who uh, is... You know, that's a scary favorite, but why are we picking Marcin Tiber? Look, I, I think the the book on Rosenstrike went out last time when he just got absolutely manhandled by Curtis Blades. And granted, yeah, Curtis Blades is a great wrestler. Curtis Blades is a guy who's going to out-wrestle just about anybody in the whole division. But Marcin Tibera is probably one of the better grapplers after that. You know, you've got, you know, right up there after Curtis Blades, you got Tom Aspinall, and then maybe Marcin Tybura is the third best in the UFC right now as far as just being like a heavyweight grinder. And I think with that game plan in mind, he just goes in and he wears down Rosenstrike. He stays away from the big punch. And we've also just seen Rosenstrike kind of turn into a more tentative fighter as of late, trying not to lose fights rather than trying to win them. And I think that bodes poorly against a guy like Tybura. So I actually like Tybura here as an underdog, plus 130. I like it. Our parlay to play, Mike Malott and Raquel Pennington. Uh, minus 195 for a guy M squared and Raquel Pennington, a minus 195 as well. Pair that together, though. Get you plus 125 odds. Let's hear it. Yeah, I think everybody's in on Raquel Pennington after uh, Aspen Ladd's last performance, which was largely lackluster. She looked terrible. Speaking of tentative, looked really scared to fight. And Raquel Pennington's a terrible person for her to be fighting for that reason, because Raquel Pennington will bring the action to you. And when Aspen Ladd's been in trouble in the past, she's kind of just like used her superior strength, which she has over just about every bantamweight in the world, to kind of body him up and do what she needs to do. I don't think she's stronger than Raquel Pennington. So I think this is a freaking nightmare matchup for her. And speaking of nightmare matchups, I think Mike Malat is a nightmare matchup for Mickey Gall. Mickey Gall's a guy who needs it on the mat. Malat is a guy who also has good submission skills. And in addition to that, he's shown he's got absolute dynamite in his hands, which allows him to set up some of those submissions after stunning guys. So I think if he chooses to just keep it standing against Mickey Gall, he blasts him on the feet. And I think he can hold his own on the mat. So I think he both deals with Mickey Gall's strength really well, and his own strength is probably going to absolutely blister Mickey Gall's weakness. So we're going to pair those together, get some plus money on the return for all you guys. Boom. Well, we hope you enjoyed this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. We are moving the train down the tracks, Gumby. I am curious, where do we go now? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Darian Weeks, who does this entire interview, spoiler alert, he does this entire interview while cutting somebody's hair. That's right, he's a barber, and he's going to tell you the story about owning his own barbershop, as well as preparing for his upcoming fight with Ian Gary this week. But of course, before we get to this interview, I do have to let you know that this interview is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh in, and oh so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Darian Weeks. 
All right, and joining me today is Darian Weeks, who fights Ian Gary at UFC 273. That fight is on April 9th. So, Darian, I wanted to start, before we get talking about Ian Gary, I wanted to start by talking about your debut. Obviously, you get Brian Barberena on super, super short notice for your debut. It winds up being your first pro loss. Does it feel weird, the circumstances behind that being the first L on your record? Um, You know, in... In turn, uh, you know, taking that fight on such short notice, I mean, that's what you have to do, especially when you're trying to jump up to one of the biggest organizations in mixed martial arts. Um, so that's a risk that you kind of have to take, you know, not being prepared for a certain situation. Um, and it, it really doesn't feel weird. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would rather have that zero next to a six than that five next to a one, you know, but um, it really doesn't feel uh, too weird uh, because a lot of people uh, back, you know, stood behind me after that decision, and a lot of people thought I really won that decision. Um, so it was it was almost an okay debut just to, you know, kind of put people on notice of kind of what my game consists of uh, and that I'm a, I'm a fighter ready to fight at any point in time, four days notice, two days notice, whatever, you know, we get in there and we can scrap it out. Well, and you sort of anticipated my next question, too, which is I was going to ask you about, like, you know, how, how do you, what do you take away from that? How do you go back to the gym in a fight where it was so close, it was with a veteran, it was with four days notice? Did you feel like there were things you had to change, or is it just like, now I got a full camp and they're really going to see the real Darian Weeks? Um, I mean, both of those aspects. Um, there is some stuff that we could change just from fighting on so, such short notice, you know, that when you fight that short notice that you go to rapid things that you normally do, you know. You go to habits that you have. So we got to see some of our habits that we formed, and we got to, you know, construct new habits. And then also, yeah, I got a full camp this one. You know, I know I knew about it for uh, 10, 12 weeks out. So, I mean, yeah, I definitely get to show the real athlete now. You know, I get time to prepare. I get time to do my cardio. I get time to, you know, see my opponent, break them down and film, uh, try things that we know is going to be, besting his best you know so yeah i, I feel uh it's great on both sides of that yeah and, and you mentioned your opponent in there too and, and i want to get to talking about him in a second but but first i just want to talk about you know whether or not you feel like the ufc has tons of confidence in you because not only do they give you brian barbarina on short notice but they follow that up by giving you a guy who a lot of people are touting as this really hot prospect before we get to talking about you know whether or not you think he deserves that designation or not what do you feel like that says about you um, I feel like they understand, especially from uh, the beginning of my uh, pro career um, and having so many finishes um, and then getting me Barbarana right off the back and me saying yes immediately, me coming in, making weight, um, and going in and giving one hell of a fight. Um, I feel like they understand that, you know, this is a person who understands, you know, the fight game. He understands how to buckle down. He understands how to prepare for an opponent, even if it's short notice. And he understands how to he has to extend to until that bell rings, you know. Me and Barbara Barnarina, we didn't stop moving until that last bell sounded. So they understand that I am a, a very go-forward fighter and a fighter that is definitely here to test a lot of people's uh, athleticism and their skill. And now I, I do really want to get to talking about this fight in a second, but, but you mentioned in there, you know, the weight cut. And, you know, you also mentioned in there cardio. And I'm, I'm just curious, did you feel 100% yourself 
in that Brian Barber in a fight? Or was that a fight where you felt physically kind of off as well as, you know, you, you mentioned the mental preparation and falling back on the things you do, but is it also a time where you didn't feel physically yourself? Yeah. I mean, and there, there was definitely, um, I mean, cutting weight that quick, it's also, it's always going to bring, you know, a drag on your cardio on your body conditioning. Um, and then also being said, you know, them calling you in four days, me not knowing anything about it until that four days also, you know, didn't let me prepare conditionally, you know, the way I would have been in a normal fight. So I didn't feel, you know, 100%, you know, but no excuses made, you know, I still went out there and I still went out and fought as hard as I could. So, uh, you know, and all ups to Bar Brian Barbarena, you know, he, he got me on that one, you know what I mean? But, um, let it have been, you know, a day where I could have prepared. I feel like, you know, that fight goes, you know, really way different than, than, than the one that you saw on December 4th. Well, and we're going to get to see you have a different type of performance at UFC 273. And, and of course, now let, let's talk a little bit about Ian Gary, because like I said, he's got that big hype behind him. People are saying, you know, he's the next big thing out of Ireland. He's he's the next big, you know, he's not brash like Conor McGregor, but he's got that Conor McGregor hype behind him at that uh, young, young age. Did you see his first fight? Did you see his previous fights? What, what do you think of, of the hype that's around Ian Gary? Um... I feel like, you know, he fought an organization that was way lesser, less than uh, the UFC. You know, he got to come up against Cage Warriors um, with, uh, I don't feel like it's some of the best talent in the world. Um, you know, but then again, I fight the talent he fought, so I'm not going to knock him on that. You know, maybe they were pretty good guys, but he comes up through there um, and then gets fed into the UFC. Um, I mean, his first UFC fight, you can't say that he 100% dominated. I mean, we all understand that. He went ahead and took him out um, before the first bell rang. Um, I mean, and man, say that's skill or say that's luck. I mean, I don't know. That's for, you know, someone else to decide. But with me seeing his first fight and me seeing the past fight, uh, I feel totally comfortable going against him. I, I'm not sure if the hype is necessary, but he's, he's welcome to have that hype. I mean, I feel like that puts more pressure and more stress on, him having to prepare for these fights than it does me. You know, it, it makes him have to be under a certain light. It makes him have to be under a certain standard and people respect or uh, expect a certain result. So, I mean, if he were, if he enjoys that hype, go ahead. I mean, you can have the hype after our fight, but I'm going to go ahead and get the W and then you can continue to try to keep that streak going with someone else, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned in there, too, that obviously you saw some holes in his game. So I, I usually like to ask my fighters before I let them go, do, do you got a prediction? How do you see this one ending? What hole here are you planning on exploiting? Um, nobody knows how a fight's going to go, but I definitely can guarantee you that I see this one ending with my hand being raised at the end, um, regardless of what this may be. First round finish, second round finish, uh, third round unanimous decision. My hand will be raised at the end, and uh, uh, I will go. He'll go on to, you know, fight whoever next, and then I will go on to show that fighters in the UFC that you know Derry Weeks is here to be reckoned with. Well, we're looking forward to it. Now, before I do let you completely go here, I did want to ask you a question too, because you're you're one of the very few fighters who I've seen have a separate job outside of the octagon that is. Owning his own barber shop because we, you know, we heard with Davison Figueredo that he was doing that on the side as well. I, I know you, it, you still still do own your own barber shop. Do you do that while while fighting still? 
Yes, absolutely. I'm in here right now cutting in as I talk to you on this interview right now. Um, yeah, and, and it makes it easier when it's my barbershop, my business, you know. So um, my time is set up the way that I need it. You know, I still get the practices that I need in. Um, my clients are very understanding. Um, every I come from a small town, so everybody understands and respects what I'm trying to do. So um, they work around my schedule. So, I mean, it's I've made it to where, you know, it fits in both ways. I can still do fighting 100% of the time, get all the training I need for that. Um, and there's no reason. I mean, after we're done training for two hours at a time, two times a day, three times a day, no reason to sit around with your hands in your pocket or play video games or watch TV. You might as well make some money on the side. So, you know, keeps me keeps me busy and keeps me focused, you know. So, um, it's I will. I'll probably do this until the end of my career. So, I, I love it. And and just just to clarify what you said there at the beginning, you said you're you're cutting somebody's hair right now. You're in the barbershop right now. Yes, right now I'm in the barbershop. Yes, right sir. <laughs> I love it. That's great to hear. Now I I I do, I do got to follow up to here because now I'm now I'm interested. And you said you you do this no matter what. This is this is your job. This is your permanent job in addition to fighting nonstop. Period. You know, um, people, uh, people are, you know, people are gifted, but most of, most of the time people are gifted for to more than one gift, but you know, they choose one, you know, they work as hard as they can at one and then they pursue one, which is not a bad deal, but sometimes, you know, it's all right to pursue multiple things at the same time. As long as you structure your priorities the way they're supposed to be, I feel like, you know, everything that you want to be able to do should be possible as long as you're, making things, you know, for, making a way for things to happen that way. I love that mentality. And, and I'm going to ask you one final question before I let you go. So you, you said, you know, you, you've got your, your regular clients, your, your people who you, you set it up with and they're understanding people. Did you get a big bump after your UFC debut? Did you see a whole bunch of people coming in want to see the UFC fighter? Um, well, uh, my, I, like I said, I live in a small town, so me – me going on my journey anyway, I mean, people are already understanding what that journey is. I mean, we, it's a, it's a big thing to have done, especially in the small town that I've came from. So really, I mean, my clientele, even before I went into, um, the UFC was already grown quite, quite a substantial amount because they were supporting, you know, the fact that, oh, this is a guy that came from where we come from, come from where we grew up, went to our high school. And now he's accomplishing things. So we really, you know, everybody that's been, you know, part of this barbershop has been here from uh, from the beginning, really. So it's uh, it hasn't changed too much, but we still get a, a quite quite the amount of business. Well, it's a it's an absolutely beautiful story, and we appreciate you for sharing it. Once again, fans, you guys can catch Darian Weeks fighting Ian Gary at UFC 273. That fight is on April 9th. Darian, thank you so much for the time. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure being on here. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Journal MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We could not do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Better Than Vegas, Double Nickel Sports Betting, and, of course, Maroon Social. And remember that you guys can check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gimby-Freeland. He is Shockwave Dave Termonte, and we will catch you then.